Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today in studio with me, I have a very special guest, Lois Purrington. David Donaldson is also in the studio with me today from the Atlanta Healing Center. And David and I have worked with Lois for, I'm not even going to say how many years, but more than a couple uh, in different iterations and different locations, but she's one of our favorite people, and she has come up with a very interesting concept called the 11. So today we're going to talk about what that means, how she developed it, and I think it's a really important and helpful way for many of our listeners to determine the difference between someone who may misuse drugs or alcohol and may find themselves even in some trouble and that person that actually has the disease of addiction and that person who has much more difficulty stopping their use of drugs and alcohol when consequences begin to mount. So thank you so much for agreeing to be here today, Lois. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. And it's good to see all of you again. You too. Part of why I um, pushed for this show in particular and to give the opportunity for you to, to kind of talk about the development of this is that as part of the history, Lois and I were part of an intensive outpatient program where we would have the same group of patients on different days of the week. And I started hearing about this one particular education where patients would just have light bulb experiences. Like, mm-hmm. I finally got it, or she did this education for our family, and our family finally got it, and I d- didn't actually get to ever witness the education <laughs> at that time. I just kept hearing about it, night. and they would they would be saying, oh, it's the 11, it's the 11, it's the 11, um, and so finally, I um, maneuvered it so that you would do the education for the families and I would be able to sit there and just watch so I could experience what the patients keep talking about. And and since then, I've found it just such an invaluable tool for patients and their family members alike to really not only understand the disease process, mm-hmm. but then also in particular to understand why early recovery is so hard. Because I think that's the part people don't get. They don't get why it's so hard. You stop drinking. Now get on with your life. Right. You look better. You've gained some weight. Why is why aren't things better? And I think this explains things very beautifully. So tell us a little bit how you came upon this concept. Um, well, thank you for inviting me. I think uh, one of the things in working in treatment centers and with people coming in for addiction help is I noticed that really one of the things... I had to do, and I think we have to do, is just to keep it simple. And sometimes um, we just get so much information that we're unloading on them. And in their early recovery, they might be have just come out of detox and they're still not totally balanced and on sure footing. And um, I like this. And David always says I came up with this because I used to be a kindergarten teacher and keep things simple. <laughs> this is very simple what you're going to hear today. And that's what I liked about it. Um, uh, one thing I want to note, though, David, and what you were saying in terms of um, educating the family on, on this concept is that in the beginning, I used to wait until family night, and then when patients and families were together in the room, then I would talk about this 11. And 
I think the payoff for that was limited. And then finally, about the third time around, I realized what I needed to do was present it separately to the patient, to the person who was coming out of chemical dependency, and then present it separately with the family members. And that made a big difference. I found both of them getting more on board and and getting honest about how it applied to their case when they weren't in the same room and in the same group. So um, that would just be something you might Yeah, keep in mind that's interesting because mm-hmm. definitely the, there are educations that I will do when the families in sit- are sitting there with their loved ones. Mm-hmm. And th- topics that normally would have a lot of conversation, a lot of questions, a lot of interaction will suddenly have these deadpan faces staring right. back at you <laughs> and mm-hmm. people just aren't contributing or sharing at all. Um, we have a, a few long-term people that jump right in there and you can always rely on them, but the rest of it will be just like shock mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it, it clicks mm-hmm. every now and then that this is just not a subject they can hear for the first time at the same time. Right. Right. And I also found that the chemically dependent people in the group, they got very defensive, and they often do when family members are in the same group. And for this, um, because it's just so simple, I really, um, it's good for them to hear it when they're in their own little group and don't have to be afraid. So what I did was... um, I broke down the addiction into use and abuse and addiction. And, of course, the people who we work work with are already in the column of addiction. That means there have been negative consequences as a result of their using, and therefore they need to look at that and possibly make a change if they think that's suitable. Um, the family members um, also benefit from it in that... I try to spell out what it is that they need to be focusing on instead of just the addict or instead of just the addicted person because we're already doing that. We need them to focus on themselves, their own self-care, their degree of judgment about people who do things differently than they're used to, and about... um, Letting go, I would urge them to go to Al-Anon so that they could hear how they're focusing on their addict slash alcoholic instead of on their own self-care, and that's really slowing down the progress Mm -hmm. of our treatment team. And they get into that codependency, you know, where they think that they can solve the problems and fix the people and do all of this, and we should be moving faster. So just keeping it simple... Um, is always my best recourse and the most successful one. So what I started uh, doing, I looked at, and this, of course, is after having spent years in these treatment rooms and hearing these stories. And so I really broke down addiction into three columns, and one was the use column, and one was the abuse column, and then one was the addiction column. And, of course, the people who we would wind up with in treatment were in the addiction column. But But some of their families' members may be in any one of the three columns, or they may not use drugs or alcohol at all. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the other beauty of Mm -hmm. this is sometimes it can be an early warning Mm -hmm. to some people to maybe look at 
their mm -hmm. um, relationship with drugs, alcohol, or behaviors that mm -hmm. may not be the healthiest and, and help them learn to mm -hmm. maybe cope in a different way. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's Now really you're talking about family members? Families, uh, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well said. Um, so what I did was I took use, abuse, and addiction, and I created, like, let's just say on a scale of 1 to 10, people who use alcohol, it would be like a 1, 2, or a 3, which, is a ver which are very low numbers. They really wouldn't get high. Um, alcohol is not at all their best friend. They don't need it. Sometimes they would go to a party and have a drink, and the room would start spinning, and um, they would get a little self-conscious of them slurring their words or um, maybe even feeling a little nauseous. And um, then it's amazing how these people are sometimes attracted to the person who can come to the same party and just be the favorite party in the the person in the spotlight and the funniest and telling the best stories and the best jokes and I, I could see how they complimented one another the one person kept quiet and was not able to pull that off and the other person was success, success at that and a lot of times what we know now is that in the addiction column that person who's very vocal in the, in the life of the party and getting funnier as the evening wears on, a lot of times that is our chemically dependent person. Right. Okay, and then the codependent wife over here being real quiet, but nonetheless judging and keeping that tally in her head of what she's going to talk to him about when we get home. Um, not even waiting till morning. Well, not even <laughs> waiting till morning. <laughs> yes. So I took that. I took the numbers like one through ten, and I kind of attached them to these three columns. And I and those numbers indicate what? Well, what is the scale? what I was looking at when uh, when someone would be in the. Uh, use or abuse or addiction column at that same party let's say that someone just had one drink and I'm, I'm going to use the gender she of, as being the family member it's not of course always like that but for this for this program I'm going to use the she for the woman and then the male will be the drunk the alcoholic or the this classic addict. standard <laughs> Dynamic. Characteristic right. of an alcoholic is a male. Right. <laughs> so, so that's so a happiness scale. I think you yes. referred to it. So how how happy are you using based on right. Right. what the alcohol is doing to you for someone who drinks versus someone who abuses it? Or mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so if we start out with the use column, I took the numbers like maybe when they drink have a drink, it would create like a one or a two or a three in terms of one to ten. Ten being the happiest that we could ever be in life. All mm -hmm. right. And so I would find that this person in the one, two, and three column, in the use column, would um, get excited about the party that was upcoming, would give a lecture or a sermon to the alcoholic 
on what she expected him to not do or or not how she expected him to behave at the party. And then she might go about busying herself, uh, buying a new outfit, having her nails done, getting the babysitter, all of that stuff, being excited about the party. She wants to see their home. She wants to see the Christmas decorations, etc. Okay? But kind of keeping an eye on him also, which once he gets to the party and there's a lot of alcohol available and a lot of people who are drinking to excess, he's joining that team. Mm-hmm. He he could care less, you know, about someone keeping this eye out for him. and, and Or getting ready for the party or looking forward to the party mm-hmm. and to the people there and to the food mm-hmm. and the socialization. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she's looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. He's looking forward to something else. Mm-hmm. He's looking forward to what he's going to get out of using. And on a scale of 1 to 10... 10 being the happiest we can ever be in life when life is just going perfect, he knows how to get to an 11. And all he has to do is open the bottle or pull out the joint or pop a few pills. He knows how to quickly get to the 11. And that's where he wants to be, and that's what he loves. Mm -hmm. And so we have... And it's so interesting at how quickly in their drinking and using history, they discover the 11. Yes. Like, typically with a marijuana person, we d- they discover the 11 about the third time they use it. Mm-hmm. And they are always chasing that 11 mm-hmm. with the alcoholic and they're anxious going to their very first party and they have a drink and suddenly life is beautiful and they discover the 11 really, really early on. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of family members will talk about, well, they had this bad habit and they just kind of needed mm-hmm. to put it down not recognizing that their loved one was getting something so totally different mm-hmm. than what they, they do than what they do when they drink and i think that's the uh, when we talk about addiction as a brain disease understanding that the actual effects of the drugs or alcohol or behavior on that person's brain is a different experience mm-hmm. and one for which other people can get a buzz or high from alcohol, but they don't have the same experience. Their brain is not capable of an 11. Mm-hmm. No matter no how matter much. What, mm-hmm. And no matter mm-hmm. how good everything is going. So mm-hmm. it is very hard for family members to, to comprehend that, well, mm-hmm. I, I get a little buzz and then it wears off. They, mm-hmm. they, they don't understand that the way these drugs and behaviors affect the brain of the person with addiction is entirely different than how it affects the brain of someone without the disease of addiction. Mm -hmm. And they cannot comprehend that, and that is for a good reason. Mm -hmm. They they can't even conceive of that. What's always been so interesting is when you talk about how they will start to get negative numbers Mm -hmm. if they try to drink like their loved one, or if they Mm -hmm. try to keep up, or they try to... Their numbers, where they start out getting a one or a two, they start, if they have a third drink, mm-hmm. they know they're going to have a negative one or a two. Or <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're, they're actually getting that negative reinforcement to not overuse yes. their drinking. It is, it is not only easy, it is welcoming to them for the host to run out of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's my great excuse. I don't have to admit that I'm... I don't drink. <laughs> There's no more alcohol. Yippee. Whereas the alcoholic, he's out of there by then. Off to the package store. <laughs> you know. 
So we're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to learn a little bit more about these columns and about the 11. So please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and in studio with me today is Lois Purrington. She is a National Certified Addiction Counselor, Level 2, and also a supervisor. So part of her training and her skill set is that she can also train and supervise uh, addiction counselors who are wanting to get into the field and needing to have that higher level person oversee their work and give them feedback and help them learn. We also have David Donaldson who is the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center and we're talking about this fascinating and very helpful concept that Lois has developed over the years called the 11. Right before the break, we were talking about the two extreme categories, the person who doesn't have the disease of addiction and who uses drugs or alcohol to a certain level, and they get some pleasure out of it, but there is a a, a point at which they don't, and they may stop using, they may actually feel worse, and um, and they, they don't enjoy that piece. Then the far category, uh, the, the column number three, is the person with the disease of addiction that is able to get an extreme response from drugs and alcohol that is extremely pleasurable, and they seek it, and that is their whole goal. 
But there's this middle category, Laura. Lois, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Okay, so when I mapped it out, I had a use column and then an abuse column and then the addiction column. So for the addiction column, that's people who have already crossed over the mind, over the line and have, have addiction, are really locked in there. But this middle column, people, I put it in the abuse column. In other words, more, it's more than using. They're still going for that high. They still like that high. And it's anybody's guess as to where they're going to go. They might be headed for the addiction column. Or they might notice that the few negative consequences they experience from abusing alcohol and or drugs at that party we were talking about, that doesn't set well with them. It bothers them, and they're like, I don't want to be that. And they still have a choice, and they still have the ability to back off and back down into the use column because they've not crossed over into the addiction unit yet. Um, this is an interesting person to watch, and this is someone who does well, for instance, in our program, if they come in as a family member and they're sort of oh, balancing on that middle beam, knowing that they could possibly cross over, but knowing they still have a choice and they could back up. And it's so important for them to understand the reality of addiction because once you cross over into the addiction field, you're there. Whether you stop using or not, your body is still set up for addiction and your brain and every part of your being still would like to get that high, which is an 11 on a scale of 1 to 10. In other words, that's that's just the winner. Um, that phrase, um, um, may I think about the old TV show Cheers and all the people that are sitting around the bar every single day drinking um, beyond what would be the classification for just low normal low-risk mm-hmm. drinking. Um, and you, that quote, am I an alcoholic or do I just like to drink? Mm-hmm. This is that middle category person who's sitting there getting a buzz but not really getting euphoria. Mm-hmm. They're getting camaraderie and they're getting all this fellowship stuff that's giving them a part of that whole mixture. Mm-hmm. But they're not they're they're because that that definition of uh, addiction with continued use despite serious consequences. Mm-hmm. This group is aware of the potential for consequences, mm-hmm. so they're still able to modify their behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for that. So the um, the idea, though, that um, that addiction is for some people a process. Mm-hmm. There are those patients mm-hmm. that we know that they say from the minute they mm-hmm. first experience drugs or alcohol, they began to use as much as they could, as often as they could, for as long as they could. But the majority of people, that's not their path. Mm -hmm. particularly with alcohol. So they do go through a process where Mm -hmm. um, there's the initial use, and then they get to this abuse column where um, it's more than they used to. There are some good things about that. There's some bad things about that. But Mm -hmm. um, they may not actually be genetically predisposed, and Mm -hmm. so... They may not move over into the addiction category, and they may stay in the abuse section, or they may 
uh, stay in, uh, go back to the to the normal low low risk use. And just to remind our listeners what that is, so not that there's any amount of alcohol that is completely safe, but low risk use is described as for women or for men and women over the age of 65, that would be one standard drink of alcohol, which is one and a half ounces of liquor, four ounces of red wine, and I often hold up the bottle. that We have little bottles of water at um, the Atlanta Healing Center. They're little eight-ounce bottles of water, and I tell them it's half that bottle. Um, it's five ounces for white wine, and it's 12 ounces of regular beer, not the high-octane beer. And no more than seven of these drinks in a week, and no more than one per day. For men up to age 65, it can be up to two standard drinks, and no more than 14 in a week, and you can't save up all 14 for Saturday night. So there is this, um, what is seen as low-risk drinking. So that would be somebody in the use column that uh, they're able to go and enjoy it, but that's not their primary focus of why they went out to dinner or why they went to a party. Then we got this abuse column, which is really interesting because these are the folks that it's really hard. It's mm-hmm. really hard just hearing their story as to whether or not they've crossed over. Uh, because often there are consequences. They might get a DUI. They might have trouble in their relationship. They might have some health consequences. And so storyline doesn't always tell us whether they're going to, s- which column they're exactly going to be in. But once they cross over, as we say, once the cucumber becomes a pickle, it doesn't ever go back to being a cucumber. Mm-hmm. That um, the changes that have occurred. Now, whether you're using or not, you can't go back to normal, regular use if you have the disease of addiction. Mm-hmm. And that's where so many of our people like to remind us that they're really only in the abuse right. column. They're not into the addiction column. Because that's very, that is very scary to them when they learn that they're not coming back. Mm-hmm. And then there's the negative consequences pile up, and it really takes the shine off of all the wonderful things that they used to experience. And then they start getting the DUIs or going through the divorce and losing their job. And amazing how they can still claim that they're not addicted, and they really could stop any time. Mm-hmm. And when it becomes important, they will do so. And as the people in the abuse column hear that, they, too, it's already setting their defenses in place mm-hmm. to where they're always going to. They don't want to be back in the, with the boring people in the use column. They want to be exciting and fun and someone who people talk about in the life of the party and all of that. But to continue to claim that abuse column without accepting the fact that they've already moved over into the abuse because some of the other labels that go along with the person in the addicted column, they also don't want. You know, they don't want somebody to look at them and say, you were choosing alcohol over your family mm-hmm. or you were choosing alcohol over your job. They don't want it to be those kind of 
of big extreme realities that the alcoholic does just instantly, but they also like the good feeling that they're getting from alcohol. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about the use and abuse person who can go back and forth, and then on our chart we put that heavy black line when it comes to addiction because there's no crossing, there's no going back and forth over that wall. So I don't think that you talked about what the numbers are for oh, this column. okay. And S- we're going to have to take a break, so when we come back, you're going to tell us what those numbers are for those other columns. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and Medical Director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to America's Web Radio. Today in studio, we have one of our favorite people, Lois Purrington. And um, Lois is also very generous with her time and efforts, not just coming here today, but she does spend some time with us at the Atlanta Healing Center, and she works with our patients and families and does this and a number of other lectures. So thank you for being here, Lois, and thank you, David, for also being here today. This is, um, I I think, a very helpful tool. And right before the break, (laughs) I interrupted you as you were getting ready to tell us what the scale, the happiness scale is for each of the columns. So we talked about the first column being the one, two, three, Level and then what about um, what about the other columns? Okay, so it's on a scale of one to ten. So the first column, and it's about what people get out of 
drinking or using a chemical that alters their mind and their mood. So for the use column, there's very little reward system there. On a scale of 1 to 10, I put like a 1 or a 2 or maybe a 3. And then when I move into the middle column of abuse, I'm going to go right in the middle of that number 10, you know, like a 4, a 5, a 6, maybe a 7. But when we get over into the addiction column, it's the 11. It is the 11 that creates that that high. So there can be no mistaking that. Um, one of the things that's um, really challenging to work with when we're working with family members and patients, people who have succumbed to chemical dependency, is that family members um, base their value on the response that they get from the alcoholic always think or the addict always thinking that they can change that person by convincing them that they need to be around home more or they need to show more attention to the children or they need to show up for the soccer game or whatever it is and um, the the family member the spouse who's in that casual uh, use column tends to really start um, slipping into uh, almost a depressed state Mm -hmm. where where is my value if my spouse chooses to go out drinking with the guys on on a Friday night and then I don't know if he's coming home or not and I'm here where is my value is in in this relationship and so they start really slipping into a depressed state and a um, useless state of of being and um and then it sets up so much codependency where, but by golly, I know what I'm doing and I can change this person mm-hmm. and make myself feel better, but it doesn't work because that person in the abuse column is not likely to change. Uh, that person has found over there the 11 and they're not giving that up. And unless there's an intervention on the part of a, a boss who, if their job is on the line or they lose their driver's license or they go to court and go to jail or something monumental like that that sends them into treatment, there could be a change. But by then, we notice that family members' self-esteem has really plummeted, and they try to make up for it by being the boss and right-sizing and put every, putting everything back on track, which is not going to happen. And they still feel that they have that power to do that. It's um, it's pretty scary stuff. Because they so really think that if they try hard enough or if they set the prettiest table or if they do whatever, they're going to be able to compete with what this person is getting from the alcohol. Mm-hmm. And they keep finding out again and again that they just can't. Mm-hmm. But they also work really hard to make the outside appearance of the family or the outside appearance of the marriage um, Mm -hmm. to be normal and to Mm -hmm. be successful. So part of their fixing is also keeping all the balls up in the air. Mm-hmm. I know I've heard you talk mm-hmm. about this, Lois, and, and, and doing all that they can, making the excuses and calling the boss and making it up to the kids and mm-hmm. doing all of these other things 
to try and keep up this false front Mm -hmm. while they themselves are beginning to drowned in their in their mm-hmm. feelings of um, emotion loneliness sadness and they're distant and separated from their support network too not because they don't see them necessarily but because they aren't open and honest about mm-hmm. what's going on at home and they've got to keep up this front mm-hmm. and it's exhausting it is very exhausting and when you mention kids we do need to touch on that a bit too you can imagine for youngsters living in this home seeing these two opposite polar opposites um the codependent trying to fix everything and the alcoholic just looking for the next high and looking to get out of there and and a lot of that is the pressure that the codependent puts on him Mm -hmm. not wanting to be controlled by her who is um, unreasonable at best and so the children and we wonder you know we know that many of these children wind up in the same adult situations as we're talking about today well it isn't really that surprising when they watch this game playing and all of this confusion and not knowing who to side with or being afraid to take sides, not wanting to do that. But it's just, it's a mess. Mm-hmm. And, and, but they're being told that everything's all right, everything's going to work out. But that's not the way they feel when they crawl into bed at night and are laying there alone. That's not at all what they're feeling. They're feeling the brokenness of their hearts. Mm-hmm. And, um, and well, and a lot of times at that point they're already doing something to not feel, so they'll yeah. bury themselves. It used to be in books, and now they'll bury themselves in their electronics mm-hmm. and just try not to feel anything mm-hmm. in that scenario, or mm-hmm. in food, mm-hmm. or in um, sex. escaping, mm-hmm. yeah, sex, uh, mm-hmm. escaping the family, getting rewards outside with with mm-hmm. school or sports, and mm-hmm. not all of it is. Um, pathological, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, but they're they're trying to mood alter because they've got this hyper responsible one parent who's trying mm-hmm. to fix and control and make everything be as okay as it can be, and the other parent who's you know deep in into the disease of addiction who is not able at that point to assume the responsibilities and to be a partner and to be part of the family. So they're neither of those parents have a lot of energy left over for the kids. Mm-hmm. So the kids self-soothe as well they can and sometimes they begin to use drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. and that's when it gets really scary. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think that sometimes for the children, or for the kids, it's about if you can't beat them, join them. Mm-hmm. And look at all this attention that Dad's getting, and all in a negative way. Maybe if I was doing what Dad is doing, maybe I would get that kind of attention from Mom, who is so preoccupied and going crazy. Um, and and yes, of course, that's that's an influence. Well, and the on. other the other group that you talk about. With the 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 eleven, mm-hmm. um, you talk about the eleven in terms of that just best feeling I've ever had. But you also talk about the eleven in terms of the escape, mm-hmm. where the person who's just crossed over into such a state of n- disconnection mm-hmm. 
And I imagine a lot of the kids would have that discovery, that with uh, enough of whatever it is to drink, they can finally escape. Mm -hmm. Where they don't have to feel anything. Right, right. And they're like living between these two bookends who also have found ways to numb their feelings. So these kids really aren't learning anything about feelings in that respect. I mean, really, that's... That's a non-entity in this particular scenario. So when they grow up or find a girlfriend or find a spouse or whatever, they're going to they're going to need to find someone without who also is numb to feelings because they would not know how to function mm-hmm. or communicate in that environment. That would be very scary for them. So they're going to make sure to find someone who doesn't scare them like that. They want somebody where if they ask you how you feel and you say, I feel fine, that's going to be a perfect answer mm-hmm. and not going to go any deeper. Mm-hmm. And everybody's going to feel fine. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if they don't feel fine, they're going to at least look on the outside like they're mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. And this is, uh, this is a dance that is so painful and yet so common that we see with people people who have the disease of addiction and that's why we call it a family disease because in in a in a family if someone is ill whether from mental illness uh, physical illness or addiction that is going to change the dynamic the energy mm-hmm. the focus of the family and so whether or not the person actually inherits the disease of addiction they are living in a dysfunctional situation where they are being affected by it and as mm-hmm. as you just said Lois they're going to begin to make choices in their future mm-hmm. that will continue to perpetuate this kind of of brokenness mm-hmm. that they they aren't going to choose a mate that is available to them they're going to avoid feelings they're going to not know how to deal with it they may not use drugs or alcohol, but mm-hmm. their ability to feel that level of happiness, the normal levels of happiness that that most of us can understand, is going to be impaired just, not just because that minimizes it, but from being raised in a situation where there is this kind of uh, chaotic dance between mm-hmm. the codependent parent and the parent who has the disease of addiction it's mm-hmm. it's really uh interesting to see this passed on from generation to generation mm-hmm. and yet when you look at the bookshelves at any bookstore you can see it passed on from generation from alcoholics anonymous to codependent no more to mm-hmm. the the titles just go on and on with each generation rediscovering the same thing about the truth about the disease of addiction mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um and I also think it's it's really uh, interesting to teach our our patients and our family members, et cetera, about that eleven that they get. Uh, you know, on a scale of one to ten, they're getting an eleven when they use. But that isn't going to go on forever because those negative consequences are bound to surface at some point. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the important things for our listeners to understand is that we don't want to 
we want to take the shine off of that 11. And when those negative consequences start happening, like somebody loses a job or, or a divorce or some of the things we talked about earlier, maybe even a stint in jail, then the codependent wants to come in and make everything all right, and then that's makes it worse. Is it am, aren't I wonderful? No, that that was not what was needed. Exactly. When we come back, we're going to find out what is needed. So please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. Elena George. Join me Wednesday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. for Medicine on Call, a show dedicated to exploring the medical, social, and political aspects of our health care system in order to find solutions. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today in studio, I have David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center and our special guest, Lois Purrington, who has developed this concept of the 11 on a regular happiness scale of 1 to 10. People who have the disease of addiction, at least for a, a brief time, not nearly long enough, in their opinion, I'm sure, they're able to experience life and, and a high that's at lowest, as you call it, an 11, which is outside of the capacity of someone who doesn't have the disease of addiction, which is real important to know. But right before the break, you were making a real important point, which was they don't stay at an 11, mm-hmm. and that they begin as they get further into their disease to have less and less of an opportunity to ever get back to the 11. That's, mm-hmm. that's not possible, though they mm-hmm. want to do it. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, and once they've crossed that line, it's a limited period of time that they will stay over there enjoying that 11. And I did want to talk about that in terms of what's it like for a person in early recovery to now, they can't even have a 10 or a 9 or an 8. They're really starting over because there have been so many negative consequences thus far in their personal relationships, in their work life, in their relationships with their children or their family of origin or the neighbors or past friends or their drinking buddies who don't want to be around them anymore. Mm -hmm. And so now they start out and, and they want to know in treatment, so where do I start? And I say, you start at a 1. A 1? I'm not going to start at a 1. I've been to an 11 for 10, 12, 15 years. But that is the reality of it. And um, to start back then, and I say, that's where you are. So then their spouse, who's thrilled now that they're in treatment, says, great, tonight I've already planned it. We're going to go out to this great restaurant. Then we're going to go see a movie. It's up for the Academy Awards, and this is going to be the greatest night. And the recovering addict is like, oh, my God, that's the last stuff. No, they're not saying this, but in their in their soul of souls, they're saying, that's the last thing I want to do. I don't want to go to a meeting with you. I don't want to go out to dinner. And um, and they say, How, what am I going to do? And I say, you're going to start building from number one up. And you don't have a choice because work, the legal system, your family of origin, the kids, your spouse, your neighbors, and your friends, and your old drinking buddies aren't there for you anymore. You start with a one and then you build that into a two. Mm-hmm. And then you build a two into a three. And it's not like it was when you took a drink or a drug and you went immediately to an 11. But that's no longer available to you because of the negative consequences. And so it's really important, too, for family members to... Now, they want to be codependent and solve all these problems. Oh, you're such a good son and you're such a, you really were a good father and... No, you can't do that. You have to let them on their own experience the consequences of their choices and of their illness. And they have to start at the bottom. And you build a one into a two. And they're, uh, they're, they're like, you you got to be kidding. Oh, whoopee, that's going to be fun. That's where you have to start. That's just where you have to start. And you will never again be able to go to that 11 in addiction because it stopped working for you. Mm -hmm. See, it's not forever. That 11 is so fabulous during the years that it's working, but it's not going to last forever. And that is the reality of Mm -hmm. addiction. That's what we call the bottom. And trying different things for different types of addictions, gambling or sexual things, they might get a taste of an 11 again briefly, Mm -hmm. but they're not going to sustain it because they've already lost mm-hmm. them because they have too much awareness of their reality. Well, <laughs> and they've got too many people watching them. Yeah, I yeah, mean, there's the, the reality. You know, that is the reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the trade-off, and I think that patients eventually begin to realize this, that... Um, being able to live a life where they don't have to keep secrets, where they don't have to be afraid of the police or their mother or their boss finding out, where they don't have the physical consequences. They aren't waking up hungover. They aren't 
having um, medical issues related to their drug or alcohol use, where physically they feel better, where they remember being at the party or mm-hmm. having uh, holidays with their family, where they look at the sunset and they mm-hmm. look at the pretty flowers and they can learn to enjoy without all of this negative worry that was associated mm-hmm. with their with their use. And those are all the natural fours and fives right. and sixes that, that people, people have to learn how to how to get to mm-hmm. starting at the ones. Mm-hmm. Because what's so helpful with this education is for them to recognize that the first month and second month and third month mm-hmm. are still just ones and mm-hmm. minus ones. Sometimes if their wife wants to go to dinner and the the recovering alcoholic knows that every single other person in that restaurant is going to have a drink and they're going to be ordering water with lemon, mm-hmm. they're starting out at a negative number. And if they don't know yet how to say no thank you to their wife, they're going to go to the restaurant and watch everybody else drink mm-hmm. and feel miserable. Mm-hmm. But I think <coughs> this is where spirituality and finding that hope outside themselves is really the key to being able to find joy, maybe not ecstasy, maybe not the high, but the, that is the that is the bridge, that is the link that allows the person to have joy, to have satisfaction, to feel good about a job well done, to feel good about living an open and honest life and to get the satisfaction out of that where they can truly be happy. Because many Mm -hmm. times when they're in the first little while of early recovery, they they can't conceive of life without their best friend, their drug, Mm -hmm. and they can't conceive that they can ever be happy or content because they've never done it without the drug. So it's a Mm -hmm. whole new learning process. Yeah. And that, um, the spirituality piece, I think, is so important. However that gets defined, mm-hmm. that uh, ability to, to feel love and that ability to have um, hope is, is mm-hmm. what helps them get to a place where they can live a life that is very happy and that mm-hmm. they can be content and satisfied and they don't have to keep longing for that 11 Mm-hmm. And I think that you maybe mentioned meetings, um, 12-step meetings. That That is where they need to be also in terms of people who understand what they're going through, mm-hmm. who understand how impossibly hard this is for them. And if they think they're going to get that from their neighbor or their spouse who's already pushing this, that they need to be at meetings with people who understand, who have been here before, who have hung in there and done what they need to do, and their life is like you're describing. Because I think that's unimaginable for an addict whose drug of choice has been taken out of their life. They they cannot imagine ever getting to that place mm-hmm. where they would feel okay and be happy and look forward to something and be able to appreciate their children and their family and holidays and stuff like that. And when they're still coming to terms with the reality that they're not getting the 11 anymore, the suggestion of 
going to meetings and calling a sponsor and doing all of those things that people do to stay sober will eventually bring them joy. Those suggestions just bring make them angry. <laughs> you yes. know, it's just how can I go sit in these meetings with these people who always complain about the same problem because right. they're not yet able to hear the, the, solution. the solution and the joy that these people mm-hmm. get to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the the wonderful um, satisfaction they would get of then passing it on to other newcomers, remembering that mm-hmm. that was them and somebody was there for them. And that... And that is the solution. So I want to thank you, Lois, for being here today and sharing this with us. And thank you, David. And thank you all for listening. And we look forward to seeing you next week on Detailing Addiction. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Do you have problems with sinus pain and pressure? Do other people smell things that you don't? Have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to? Is your nose always stuffy no matter what you do? Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps. These are generally benign growths that occur from chronic sinus infection or allergies that are either undertreated or have not been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center, we specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery and correction of a deviated nasal septum and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office. We use a state-of-the-art equipment so that you can see the problem. You will be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment. We believe in old-fashioned medicine, where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. You can rest assured that all options will be offered before surgery is recommended, because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, 
and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. True affordable alternative. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and 